Chapter Thirty Five, Part Two of The Betrothed. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lonnie Small. The Betrothed by Alessandro Manzoni. Chapter Thirty Five, Part Two. Renzo began between one spoonful and another to relate the history of Lucia, how she had been sheltered in the monastery at Monza, how she had been forcibly carried off. At the idea of such sufferings and such dangers, and at the thought that it was he who had directed the poor innocent to that place, the good friar became almost breathless with emotion, but he was quickly relieved on hearing how she had been miraculously liberated, restored to her mother, and placed by her with Donna Prasedi. "'Now I will tell you about myself,' pursued the narrator, and he briefly sketched the day he spent in Milan, his flight, how he had long been absent from home, and now, everything being turned upside down, he had ventured to go thither, how he had not found Agnesi there, and how he had learned at Milan that Lucia was at the Lazaretto. "'And here I am,' he concluded, "'here I am to look for her, to see if she's still living, and if—' She'll still have me, because sometimes— But how were you directed here? asked the friar. Have you any information whereabouts she was lodged, or at what time she came? None, dear father, none, except that she is here, if indeed she be still living, which may God grant. Oh, you poor fellow! But what search have you yet made here? I've wandered and wandered about but hitherto I've scarcely seen anything but men. I thought that the women must be in a separate quarter, but I haven't yet succeeded in finding it. If it is really so, now you can tell me. Don't you know, my son, that men are forbidden to enter that quarter, unless they have some business there? Well, and what could happen to me? The regulation is just and good, my dear son and if the number and weight of sorrows forbid the possibility of it being respected with full rigor, is that a reason why an honest man should transgress it? But Father Cristoforo, said Renzo, Lucia ought to be my wife. You know how we've been separated. It's twenty months that I've suffered and borne patiently. I've come as far as here, at the risk of so many things, one worse than the other, and now then, I don't know what to say resumed the friar, replying rather to his own thoughts than to the words of the young man. You are going with a good intention, and would to God that all who have free access to that place would conduct themselves as I can feel sure you will do. God, who certainly blesses this your perseverance of affection, this your faithfulness, in wishing and seeking for her whom he has given you. God, who is more rigorous than men, yet more indulgent, will not regard what may be irregular in your mode of seeking for her. Only remember that for your behavior in this place we shall both have to render an account, not probably to men, but without fail at the bar of God. Come this way. So saying, he rose. Renzo followed his example, and without neglecting to listen to his words, had, in the meantime, determined in himself not to speak as he had at first intended about Lucia's vow. If he hears this too, thought he, he will certainly raise more difficulties. 
Either I will find her, and then there will be time enough to discuss it, or—and then what will it matter? Leading him to the door of the cabin, which faced towards the north, the friar resumed. Listen to me. Father Felice, the president of the Lazaretto, will to-day conduct the few who have recovered to perform their quarantine elsewhere. You see that church there in the middle? And raising his thin and tremulous hand, he pointed out to the left, through the cloudy atmosphere, the cupola of the little temple rising above the miserable tents, and continued, About there they are now assembling to go out in procession through the gate, by which you must have entered. Ah! It was for this, then, that they were trying to clear the passage. Just so, and you must also have heard some tollings of the bell. I heard one. It was the second. When the third rings they will all be assembled. Father Felice will address a few words to them, and then they will set off. At this signal do you go thither. Contrive to place yourself behind the assembly on the edge of the passage, where, without giving trouble, or being observed, you can watch them pass. And look, look, look if she is there. If it be not God's will that she should be there, that quarter, and he again raised his hand and pointed to the side of the edifice which faced them, that quarter of the building, and part of the field before it, are assigned to the women. You will see some paling that divides this from that enclosure, but here and there broken and interrupted, so that you'll find no difficulty in gaining admittance. Once in, if you do nothing to give offence, no one probably will say anything to you. If, however, they should make any opposition, say that Father Cristoforo knows you, and will answer for you. Seek her there. Seek her with confidence and with resignation, for you must remember it is a great thing you have come to ask here, a person alive within the lazaretto. Do you know how often I have seen my poor people here renewed? How many I have seen carried off? How few go out recovered? Go, prepared to make a sacrifice. Aye, I understand, interrupted Renzo, his eyes rolling wildly, and his face becoming very dark and threatening. I understand. I go. I'll look in one place for another, from top to bottom of the lazaretto, and if I don't find her, if you don't find her, said the friar, with an air of grave and serious expectation and an admonishing look. But Renzo, whose anger had for some time been swelling in his bosom, and now clouded his sight, and deprived him of all feelings of respect, repeated and continued, If I don't find her, I'll succeed in finding somebody else, either in Milan, or in his detestable palace, or at the end of the world, or in the abode of the devil. I'll find that rascal who separated us, that villain but for whom Lucia would have been mine twenty months ago, and if we had been doomed to die, we would at least have died together. If that fellow still lives, I'll find him. Renzo, said the friar, grasping him by one arm and gazing on him still more severely. And if I find him, continued he, perfectly blinded with rage, if the plague hasn't already wrought justice, this is no longer a time when a coward with his bravos at his heels can drive people to desperation and then mock at them. A time has come when men meet each other face to face. I'll get justice. 
"'Miserable wretch!' cried Father Cristoforo, in a voice which had assumed its former full and sonorous tone. "'Miserable wretch!' And he raised his sunken head. His cheeks became flushed with their original color, and the fire that flashed from his eyes had something terrible in it. "'Look at you, miserable man!' and while with one hand he grasped and strongly shook Renzo's arm, he waved the other before him, pointing, as well as he could, to the mournful scene around them. "'See who is he that chastises! Who is he that judges and is not judged! He that scourges and forgives! But you, a worm of the earth, you would get justice? You? Do you know what justice is? Away, unhappy man, away with you!' I hoped, yes, I did hope that before my death God would have given me the comfort of hearing that my poor Lucia was alive, perhaps of seeing her, and hearing her promise me that she would send one prayer toward the grave where I shall be laid. Go! You have robbed me of this hope. God has not let her remain upon earth for you, and you— "'Surely cannot have the hardihood to believe yourself worthy "'that God should think of comforting you. "'He will have thought of her, "'for she was one of those souls for whom eternal consolations are reserved. "'Go, I've no longer time to listen to you.' "'And so saying, he threw from him Renzo's arm "'and moved toward a cabin of the sick. "'Ah, oh, father!' said Renzo, following him with a supplicating air. "'Will you send me away in this manner?' "'What?' rejoined the Capuchin, relaxing nothing of his severity. "'Dare you require that I should steal the time from these poor afflicted ones, who are waiting for me to speak to them of the pardon of God, to listen to your words of fury, your propositions of revenge? I listened to you when you asked consolation and direction.' I neglected one duty of charity for the sake of another, but now you have vengeance in your heart. What do you want with me? Be gone! I have beheld those die here who have been offended and have forgiven. Offenders who have mourned that they could not humble themselves before the offended. I have wept with both one and the other, but what have I to do with you? Ah! Oh, I forgive him! I forgive him indeed and for ever! exclaimed the youth. "'Renzo,' said the friar, with more tranquil sternness, "'bethink yourself, and just say how often you have forgiven him.' And having waited a moment without receiving a reply, he suddenly bent his head, and with an appeased voice resumed, "'You know why I bear this habit?' Renzo hesitated. "'You know it,' resumed the old man. "'I do,' answered Renzo. "'I, too, have hated.' and therefore I have rebuked you for a thought, for a word, the man whom I hated, whom I cordially hated, whom I had long hated, that man I murdered. Yes, but a tyrant, one of those— Hush! interrupted the friar. Think you that if there were a good reason for it, I shouldn't have found it in thirty years? Ah, if I could now instill into your heart the sentiment I have ever since had, and still have— for the man I hated. If I could, I? But God can, and may he do so. Listen, Renzo, he wishes you more good than you even wish yourself. You have dared to meditate revenge, but he has power and mercy enough to prevent you. 
he bestows upon you a favor of which another was too unworthy. You know, and you have often and often said it, that he can arrest the hand of the oppressor, but remember, he can also arrest that of the revengeful. And think you that, because you are poor, because you are injured, he cannot defend against your vengeance a man whom he has created in his own image? Did you think that he would suffer you to do all you wished? No. But do you know what he can do? You may hate and be lost forever. You may, by such a temper of mind as this, deprive yourself of every blessing. For however things may go with you, whatever condition you may be placed in, rest assured that all will be punishment until you have forgiven, forgiven in such a way that you may never again be able to say, I forgive him. Yes, yes, said Renzo, with deep shame and emotion. I see now that I have never before really forgiven him. I see that I have spoken like a beast and not like a Christian. And now, by the grace of God, I will forgive him. Yes, I'll forgive him from my very heart. And supposing you were to see him, I would pray the Lord to give me patience and to touch his heart. Would you remember that the Lord has not only commanded us to forgive our enemies, but also to love them? Would you remember that he so loved him as to lay down his life for him? Yes, by his help I would. Well, then, come and see him. You have said, I'll find him, and you shall find him. Come, and you shall see against whom you would nourish hatred, to whom you could wish evil, and be ready to do it, of what life you would render yourself master. And taking Renzo's hand, which he grasped as a healthy young man would have done, he moved forward. Renzo followed, without daring to ask anything further. After a short walk, the friar stopped near the entrance of a cabin, fixed his eyes on Renzo's face with a mixture of gravity and tenderness, and drew him in. The first thing he observed on entering was a sick person, seated on some straw in the background, who did not, however, seem very ill, but rather recovering from illness. On seeing the father, he shook his head as if to say no. The father bent his with an air of sorrow and resignation. Renzo, meanwhile, eyeing the surrounding objects with uneasy curiosity, beheld three or four sick persons and distinguished one against the wall, lying upon a bed and wrapped in a sheet with a nobleman's cloak laid upon him as a quilt. He gazed at him, recognized Don Rodrigo, and involuntarily shrank back, but the friar again, making him feel the hand by which he held him, drew him to the foot of the bed and stretching over it his other hand, pointed to the man who lay there prostrate. The unhappy being was perfectly motionless. His eyes were open, but he saw nothing. His face was pale and covered with black spots, his lips black and swollen. It would have been called the face of a corpse, had not convulsive twitchings revealed a tenacity of life. His bosom heaved from time to time with painfully short respiration and his right hand laid outside the cloak, pressing it closely to his heart, with a firm grasp of his clenched fingers, which were of a livid color, and black at the extremities. "'You see,' said the friar, in a low and solemn voice, 
This may be a punishment, or it may be mercy. The disposition you now have towards this man, who certainly has offended you, that disposition will God, whom assuredly you have offended, have towards you at the great day. Bless him, and be blessed. For four days has he lain there, as you see him, without giving any signs of consciousness. Perhaps the Lord is ready to grant him an hour of repentance, but waits for you to ask it. Perhaps it is his will that you should pray for it with that innocent creature. Perhaps he reserves the mercy for your solitary prayer, the prayer of an afflicted and resigned heart. Perhaps the salvation of this man and your own depend at this moment upon yourself, upon the disposition of your mind to forgiveness, to compassion, to love. He ceased, and joining his hands, bent his head over them both as if in prayer. Renzo did the same. They had been for a few moments in this position, when they heard the third tolling of the bell. Both moved together as if by agreement, and went out. The one made no inquiries, the other no protestations. Their countenances spoke. "'Go now,' resumed the friar. "'Go prepared to make a sacrifice, and to bless God, whatever be the issue of your researches. And whatever it be, come and give me an account of it. We will praise Him together.' Here. Without further words they parted. The one returned to the place he had left, the other set off to the little temple, which was scarcely more than a stone's throw distant. End of chapter 35, part 2